is exciting. So thank you all that are here to see your loved ones and your family members. And it doesn't matter if you're family or friend. Uh, we're just excited about all that God is doing in the lives of all these that have trusted Christ. We're excited about what God is doing in your life, too. And that's why we're here today. We're going to take a little time uh, to get in the Bible. So if you have a Bible, grab uh, grab one or uh, just turn to page. Uh, what am I? I'm all messed up. Pray for me. All right. If you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the bag if you got one or if you got an app on your phone, you're used to reading the Bible or whatever. But get to Exodus chapter 17. If you have one, grab one of those Bibles in the seat rack in front of you or if you've got a guest bag, you can turn to page 108. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Exodus chapter 17. We're looking at it at uh, verses uh, 8 through 16, and uh, we're excited about all that God has for us in his word this morning. As we're seeing Israel walk through the wilderness of sin, they have been delivered. Many of us know the story of Exodus and how God has miraculously, through ten plagues, delivered Israel through the Red Sea. And they are now free, free at last. And uh, God has provided for them manna. He has provided water from the rock there at Rephidim, and he is taking good care of them. And so uh, in Exodus chapter 17, we saw in verses 1 through 7, uh, back in November, as we kind of put everything on a pause for a few months for the holiday season, we saw the church on the move must learn to be teachable, faithful, and dependable. And so as we looked at that in the Word of God, uh, God intentionally took Israel through difficult times, right? Sort of like the AFC playoffs for the Kansas City Chiefs, right? So... They had to battle through the wild card bracket to ascend to the Super Bowl. Well, that's what God's doing with Israel. They, they had adversity, and, and it makes them stronger as God was going to lead them into battle. He was not just providing uh, things that they needed uh, for their health. He was providing things that they needed uh, for their advancement in the kingdom because they had enemies that they were going to have to take out of the promised land. But before they get to the promised land, God brought enemies to them. And so it was important that they learn the lessons uh, that God had for them so that they would be strong enough uh, to advance, right? And so the things uh, that God took Israel through at Rephidim, uh, they, were, they were short and long-term in benefit. And so uh, they could live up to the, to the uh, title that had been given them in Exodus 6, 26, Exodus 7, 4, Exodus chapter uh, uh, 12 and verse 17 and 12 and verse 51. And so those of you that have been here, what, what was the title that God gave them? Does anyone remember? Not all at once. Armies. Did somebody say armies? Armies. That's right. Good job. So Teresa got it. So God called them armies. But we know that they didn't look like armies. As a matter of fact, they haven't even behaved like an army yet. But they're getting ready to. They're fixing to act like an army. And part of the reason they, they needed to go through some of the difficulties is because we all know when we send soldiers to battle, right, we don't just say, uh, hey, come out of high school and go to battle. Right. They, we, we, we make sure they go through at least boot camp. Right. And get them prepared. And that boot camp is supposed to be rigorous. How many of y'all been to boot camp? Was it cushy? No, it was rigorous. Right. So there's a reason it's rigorous because they need you to they don't just do that for fun. They need you to be ready because being rigorous is part of your readiness. Right. Going through the rigor makes you ready. And so that was part of the deal. God was making uh, difficult uh, things difficult for them so they could learn to grow in faith. They could learn to depend on him. They would learn that they would learn that he would provide for them. And then, of course, he even got to provide them uh, uh, an enemy, because if you're in an army, your job is to fight the enemy. Right. That's what the that's what the church is supposed to be doing. By the way, we go out and we we fight the enemy 
Oftentimes, churches get caught up fighting themselves. God forbid. That's not Philadelphian. Uh, that is totally not Philadelphian. That's not what God needs to advance the mission of God. He needs brotherly love in the church so the, the church can go out and advance the mission of God uh, outside the walls of the church, right, in our communities, in our country, and in all the continents of the world, among all the peoples of the world. And to make sure that we do that, God will even bring the peoples of the world here so that we can reach all peoples right where we are, even if we won't go. So, so God brings things in our lives so that we can get stronger and we can continue on with his mission. So we saw that Israel had learned to be teachable, uh, faithful, and dependable in the first seven verses of, of uh, Exodus 17. And then last week, we jumped into the text and, and looked at how, uh, once again, we saw Israel in Rephidim. Rephidim means rest. And we saw this location that God led them to. It, it didn't seem like rest at first, but God miraculously provided rest, but not for long. Because once they got the water that they needed, there was an army on the way. And that army's name was Amalek, uh, an ancient people that was actually uh, their relative. So last week we had our first lesson in understanding that God, or understanding that a church on the move for God must prepare for war. Uh, And of course we're not talking, I was very clear last week, we're not talking about everybody getting their guns and physical war. We're talking about spiritual warfare. And if you got your guns, that's your business. But we're talking about spiritual warfare. So today we'll continue to study uh, how the church on the move must be prepared for war, prevail in battle, and praise God for the victory. But before we do that, I just want to remind you where we were. Because last week in the first verse or the first uh, lesson we saw that the church on the move that is prepared for war uh, in Exodus 17, 8 through 9, the son of God must be, a, must be vigilant even when resting in God's provision. Right? There was a vigilance that was required uh, by the children of Israel. That's one of the lessons that God was teaching them, is to be vigilant. We also saw that, that we must be prepared to go to war with our flesh and blood, because the name Amalek, uh, if you trace it back, goes all the way to Esau, and Esau uh, was Jacob's brother. So these were, these were like distant relatives that they were fighting, and it, and it pictures for us our biggest adversary, uh, the most um, uh, just obnoxious adversary that we face, the one that's always di- given us a fit, is our own flesh, isn't it? It's our own flesh. And so, uh, and also, just practically speaking, some of the biggest wars you're going to have are not going to be outside your home, but inside your home, right? So these are realities that, that happen in spiritual warfare, and it's spiritual, right? Not physical. We don't wrestle flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And so the, the Bible makes it clear that the greatest battle we face is not with the things without but with our own flesh and blood. And we know 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God. And yet we've got to deal with this. This is the, the, the carcass that God gives us to accomplish his mission in, right? So we've got to deal with our own flesh and our own blood until we get a new body at the resurrection. All right, so some Christians, unfortunately, are not even worthy of attack because they're doing the adversary's job for them. We talked about that last week. And lastly, we saw the practical steps to prepare for spiritual war was to understand the chain of command, right? You have to understand authority, to choose faithful men who can teach others also, to trust Jesus for the victory, take take the high ground. Remember, we left off with Moses is up on the top of the mount. He got the highest ground possible. He, Moses and Aaron and Hur, now they're on the, that's where we start off today. They're up in the high ground. And in a military situation, you want to take, you want to be in a position, if at all possible, on the high ground, 
right? That's why uh, when you, you know, that's that's what we are going to do. We're going to talk about that this morning of how how important that is practically and how to engage that spiritually in our lives. And then uh, we got to use the tools that God has given us. And of course, He has given us the words of God. He's given us a sharp, two-edged sword. This is the the tool that we have for combat. But He's also given us communication tools, right? So we communicate. Uh, with with heaven above and i'm going to talk about that this morning but before we jump into that let's just look at the text once more once more exodus chapter 17 and i'm just going to pick it up in verse 8 through 16 then we'll pray and uh, break out the rest of this message exodus chapter 17 starting in verse 8 it says then came amalek and fought with israel and rephidim and moses said unto joshua choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up the, his hands, and one on the one side, and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Verse 13, and Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword, and the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out of remembrance of, <clears throat> the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, uh, which means the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that, uh, that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the opportunity this morning to witness the messages that we've already seen. Lord, we thank you for Liam and Austin and Lauren getting uh, not just saved. Lord, that's huge. And now following you in believers' baptism and obedience to that First act of obedience, Lord, we pray, God, your biggest blessing on them as they continue to grow in the, in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray your, your blessings upon all those that are under your word this morning. And we pray as we look at this uh, battle plan that you have laid out, give us wisdom on how to fight the spiritual war that we are in so that we can be victorious. Lord, help us to have the faith that is required to just trust you for your provision each step of the way and to go forth in confidence knowing that, Lord, you will get the victory and we are victorious through prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for what you have set before us. You've given us all real battles in this room today. And, Lord, you've also given us real victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we saw that the church on the move must be prepared for war. Now uh, we're on point two. And the church on the move must prevail in battle. It's no good to go to war if you don't prevail. We're in it to win it, right? That's the reality of it. We're not in it to lose. Uh, we're in it to win it. And so this is what has to happen. The church on the move must prevail in battle. And so we prevail because Jesus Christ fights for us. I love verse 10 there in the text. If you look down there in the text. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and her went up to the top of the hill. Now, In verse 11, you notice there Joshua, and we've talked about this a lot in our time in Exodus, but Joshua's name is synonymous with Jesus. Jesus is is the name in Hebrew, or Joshua is the name in Hebrew, and uh, Jesus is the name in Greek, but it's the same name. And it means, anybody know, what does Joshua mean? Savior, right? It means Savior. 
So Joshua, the Savior, goes out in this context, and he does the fighting. He does everything that Moses said. Moses is, by the way, a picture of the law, right? We're going to get to that in a few chapters where God he goes up to Sinai, and God gives him the law, and that law is, unfortunately, after 600 and some commandments and it's all done, and everybody says, yes, we'll do it. The problem is nobody could do it. So Jesus did it. Jesus is the one who had kept the law. He fulfilled the law so that we could be made righteous through him because he is the only righteous man. As one man died, Adam, in the uh, in the Old Testament, literally, spiritually, he died in a day. And then a thousand years before a thousand year day was up, he died. So it was true that the day that he ate thereof, he shall surely die. First, he died spiritually. And then at nine hundred and thirty years, he died physically. He didn't make it a whole day. But Jesus Christ came to this earth and in one day. On the cross, he won the victory spiritually, and then he's going to come back and rule and reign for a thousand years. And God's got this all laid out in his Bible. So we can't miss the picture that we have here with Joshua. Joshua is the type of Jesus Christ, and he goes out, and what does he do? He does, well, what's it say he does? Let's look at it again. So Joshua did as Moses said to him. He was able to keep the commandments, right? Moses says, go on out and fight. Joshua says, sir, yes, sir. Why? Because he's like because he's like Jesus. He keeps the words of God. You don't find Joshua being disobedient. Now, I'm sure that Joshua had his time because he was just the Joshua in Exodus is just a human. So his daddy had to spank him and all that, too. But we find out that in the record, kind of like Joseph, it's hard to find anything he does wrong. Right. Because he's a picture of Jesus Christ. And so he goes out and he's fighting the Amalekites. Right. And so he goes forth before uh, before at Moses's command and gets to fighting. So we prevail because Jesus fights for us. We see here a clear picture that Joshua uh, did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. The Bible tells us in John 1:17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 4 says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Right. You don't have to try to work your way into God's grace. You receive God's grace because Jesus Christ already did the work on the cross. And that's what we were celebrating in the baptism tank. In Galatians chapter two and verse 20, the Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Let me just park the car just for a second on that, because we were talking about the fight in our flesh. Well, how do we live and how do we overcome? If flesh and blood doesn't inherit the kingdom of God, then what do we do? Well, we walk by faith, not by sight. That's what Paul's saying. So the, so the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith. Notice it says of the Son of God. It's his faith. We're living off of his faith. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Pastor Randy just made that very clear, right? For salvation is not of works, right? It's it's for by grace that we're saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul says that in Roman and Galatians to those Galatians that were they were having a problem with trying to to add law on top of grace. And, And he's like, God forbid. Don't do that. Uh, we, we don't need that. If, if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Jesus has done the work. 
We are righteous because of Jesus Christ, and we do righteousness because of Jesus Christ. And there are good works to be done because we are saved, but we don't do good works to get saved. And that's really important. So many people in our world today, I used to be like that before I was a Christian. I used to try to think, well, maybe someday I'll go to church, or maybe someday I'll do good deeds, and I'll do enough good deeds, and my good will outweigh my bad. And, man, if I just do enough good things, and then God will judge me as being righteous. The problem is God's holy and he's perfect. And the Bible says all unrighteousness is sin, and God can't have anything to do with sin. That's why he sent Jesus out into the battle, into the field, from heaven to earth, to fight the battle for sin for us. And he died on the cross in our stead so that we can be reconciled to God through one man. And that man is Christ Jesus. Man, praise God for that. And so the law is not bad. You know what the law does? The Bible says the law is our teacher. It leads us to Christ. So don't think all the rules are bad, you know. It'll be like John Mellencamp, right? You fight the law, well, the law's always going to win. The law's right. We're the ones that are wrong, and that's the lesson. So John Cougar's getting close, right? So so listen, so I, I fight authority. I fight the law. The law's going to win. But you know what? Jesus Christ kept the law. He never broke it. And our access to God is through Jesus Christ, the one man. He's the door of the sheepfold. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. So Galatians 3.24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us under Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Joshua heard what Moses said, and he went out and did it. He kept it. And that's why we win, because Jesus won. And we put our faith in his faith, and we're so thankful for that. So we prevail because of the power of prayer. So what are we going to do today? Well, let's do 15 jumping jacks and 25 push-ups. Maybe for me, 20. I don't know. So anyway, so let's, let's, let's do something for Jesus. But the reality is there's nothing greater that we can do than pray. So uh, if you're our guest, we're glad that you're here. I want to just talk to the church family here for just a moment. The church, God has given us a lot to do this next season, the first four months of the year. A lot. Uh, I could just list it all off. Uh, you can just look in the bulletin, you know, all the things. One of the big things is adopt a, a street, right? We need, we still need some more people to, to jump in on that and help us adopt a street where we just go out and exercise what it is to, to, to fulfill the great commandment and love our neighbor. I mean, it is the most basic thing that we can do is love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the, that's all of that, the law and the prophets hang on that. Love God, love people. All right. But don't, even that, even just saying hi to somebody at the door, we need to make sure we bathe it in prayer. And that's what Moses is learning. Communications in the combat context is most important. You've got to have good communication. You don't want to be cut off. In Exodus chapter 17 and verse 10, notice it says, Joshua did as Moses said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. What did they go up to the hill to do? Verse 11, it came to pass when Moses held up his hands, or up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when, when he let, it down, let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. They got to where he couldn't keep them up. And so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and her stayed up his hands. They realized that when his hands were up, there was victory. When they were down, there was defeat. The one on one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. This was an all-day-long process. 
And can you imagine how, when we were back in, once upon, I know you can't tell now, but once upon a time I was a wrestler. Uh, and now I just wrestle with, you know, spiritual things, not physical things. But, you know, one of the, how many of y'all been wrestlers out here in the crowd? All right. So you'll remember this, right? Remember the running around the gym with your hands in the air? At least I don't know about y'all, but that's how we used to run. We'd have to run around all over the place with our hands in the air. And uh, you do that long enough. I mean, if we just if I just kept doing this to the end of the service, you guys would be like, oh, I mean, I'd be like crying probably like a little girl. Sorry, little girls. And uh, <laughs> your arms get tired when you work your arms. Then you got to hold them up. You do a bunch of push ups, a bunch of work with your arms and you stick them up there and run around. You're going to start feeling it. Now, what was going on here? Why has he got his hands in the air? What's that all about? Well, he's in a, he's in, he's not wrestling with physical things. He's wrestling with principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. It's not just about Amalek that's before him. It's about the entire mission of God. It's about what God is trying to do. The promises he's made to Israel is, listen, Israel, you were in bondage. They were killing your kids. But now I've delivered you and I'm taking you to a promised land. And in this promised land, there are giants. And I've already prepared them for you. These guys are not the Amalekites. These are giants. They're bigger than the Amalekites. And I need you to get ready because you're on a mission. Moses gets this. Moses knows what's going on. And so he goes to praying. I'm going to send out my best. I'm going to send Joshua. And and, uh, I'm going to send him out to do the fighting. But I'm going to go up to the top of the mountain or to the top of the hill. I'm going to get the high ground. I'm going to go to praying because we need God's blessing. Right. When we, we we're going to send out our best to the neighborhoods here in a few weeks. And we're going to start knocking on doors and letting people know we love them, that we're praying for them. Uh, we'll offer them resources if they want to do it. If they want to be part of Christ Soccer Academy, great. If they want to come to Easter service, great. If they want to be part of, of our church in the park, great. If they want to get involved in our VBS, great. I mean, come on, come on, come all. We love it. We want to see more Liam's. But at the end of the day, it's not enough just to send our best to the streets, although we need to do that. We also got to pray. You got to pray, as MC Hammer said, just to make it today. All right. So we got to pray. That'll hit about 10 of you here because that's worse than dating myself. Okay, so. So when Moses held his hands up, Joshua prevailed when when they were let down, it it didn't happen. And it's a clear picture to us, obviously, the importance of prayer. So Paul uses Moses as an illustration to encourage us to maintain faithfulness in the priestly work of ministry. Bible tells us we're priests and kings. And I'll be frank with you. One of the things I've learned as a pastor over the years is the hardest part of ministry is the priestly work, the praying, the interceding. It's easier to do something else. But actually just praying and and being sincere and, and knowing and carrying that burden and then taking that burden to the Lord and then casting that on the Lord, whew, that'll wear you down. It'll make you tired. First Timothy chapter two and verse eight. This is what Paul was telling the pastor, right? He, he was training that pastor. Some of you want to be pastors. You want to be pastors' wives. You want to be missionaries. You want to be missionary wives. You want to be used of the Lord. Well, let, let me give you some advice that comes from Paul to his his disciple in the ministry, Timothy, his pastor that he's leaving behind. He says, "Listen, I will therefore that that, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands with wrath and doubting." He's not really worried about your physical location. Whether you're on the floor laying out flat before the Lord or, or rather you're on the, the roof, uh, you know, looking up in the heavens. It, really, the physical location is not what it's about. 
He says, I would pray, I just would, that men pray everywhere. All over the place, all over the world, wherever you may be, pray everywhere and do that with lifting up holy hands, holy hands, without wrath and doubting. So there at the end, he's like, you need to be careful of your motive and you need to be full of faith. I don't need you to do this for the wrong motive, without wrath and without doubting. So he doesn't need us saying, oh, God, punish them. Kill them now. God's like, no, that's coming later. Your job is to pray for intercession, grace. Save them now is our prayer. Save them now. If there's capital punishment to be had, hand that over to the proper authorities fortunately that's not in our hand to have to do that right now so so pray the right things and don't be doubtful oh god would never save them man i'm glad people didn't take that tack with me i got saved you'd be surprised who got you say well god can't save this person or that yeah he can have you ever read about nebuchadnezzar I mean, after eating a little bit of, you know, chewing the cud for a while and being like an animal, he finally woke up and he said, wow, there is one true God. I mean, God can bring circumstances into people's lives, anyone's life, that will quicken their understanding of their need for the Savior. Now, obviously, you can harden your heart, and, and some do. We, we know also examples of that in the Bible, people who just simply refuse to bow the knee. But at the end of the day, I mean, our job is to pray without wrath. Oh, God, we know your wrath is coming. So we pray, God, that as an intercessor, we don't doubt your ability to go out and pay for their sin on the cross and reconcile them to God. We believe in the the, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the blood atonement, the ascension of the Lord and the power of his spirit to convict of sin and to draw people to Christ. We believe that and we pray that and we seek you, God, to get your will done because we know you're not willing that any should perish, but that also come to repentance. And we believe, God, that you can actually save my neighbor and my neighborhood and my city. And you could actually have a revival in the heart of America that would actually bring so much light that it would light up a crooked and perverse nation. Woo! Can we believe God for that? Well, no, Brian, this Laodicea and it ends in failure and blah, blah, blah. And that's all true. But listen, beloved, that's not the tack we take in prayer. We believe God and it's counted to us for righteousness because we believe Jesus Christ is enough. And if we don't start with Jesus, we're going to be off. If we say, oh, well, let's get the fog machine going. Let's get the lights going. Let's get this going and that going. Let's impress everybody. Guys, I'm telling you, it'll fall flat. It's not going anywhere. What we need is we need Jesus Christ to go fight the battle. And our job is to simply lift up the hands in faith and pray. If you're a ministry leader and you're not praying and encouraging others to join you in prayer, you've likely found the reason your ministry is impotent and failing. Ta-da! I mean, God's answering my prayer. I'm like, Lord, we got empty seats in this place. Not as many this week as we've had in the past, but we got empty seats. We need to fill them. And if we fill them all, we'll go to two more. We'll go to services, whatever we got to do. But the point isn't filling the seats. It's getting more people to pray, more people going out and fighting the battle and getting souls saved. So when I was a young Christian, I, I, I've never heard this passage that I read in Timothy. First uh, Timothy two eight 
really in the context of what I just showed you in Exodus. And, and I was always pointing out, your hands aren't holy. Don't lift them up. So they're so afraid that in a Baptist service, somebody might lift their hands in, in to the Lord and say, hallelujah. Like, your hands aren't holy. Keep them down. Whatever. Our hands, our own, the reason our hands are holy is because his hands are holy. Right? That's why our hands are holy. And if you want to lift your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care, man, do it. It's a free country. You can do it at this church. We're not worried about it. Every so often we got that song, lift your hands in the air and spin around, you know. I like doing that in front of my fundamental brothers. They just about fall out. You know, so. <laughs> lift your hands and spin around. I don't think Moses was doing that. But anyway, when I became a, actually, where God actually showed me, because I was kind of rolling with that. You know, my hands aren't holy. You know, and that's kind of the whole passage was like that's where it was locked into my brain because it was kind of a legalistic response to, to something. But once I, be, I got in ministry, became a prayer team leader, and I was praying for it was Doug Howie, as a matter of fact, I was praying for Doug Howie. And we, I had a team of people meeting at my house to pray, and man, God brought this passage just in my daily reading, my devotional reading, and, and then he, and he connected it to Exodus. So the Holy Spirit showed me this. Actually, I didn't actually learn it at church. I learned it in my devotional time, and I was like, wow, Lord, that's what you mean by lifting holy hands in prayer without wrath and doubting. Like what we do in our little prayer team, we got prayer team, we got two prayer team meetings today. Over at one's at Mighty Warriors, I don't know where the other one's at. Um, where's the other one at? Armor Bears. Yeah, right next to each other. Um, and so two prayer meetings. Those people are going to come together, and they're going to lift up holy hands. They're going to lift up their hands to the Lord and pray and when they pray, it's going to bring success. It's going to bring victory. It's going to bring comfort. It's going to bring relief to those that they're praying for. I was like, wow, Laura, what we do here in the States affects those people all the way across. the Yeah, it does. So when a missionary says prayer for, pray for us, that's not code word. Randy was a missionary. It's not code, is it, Randy, for, for give me more money. Although you can always send a missionary more money. But you really covet prayers when you're in the field, right? When you're, when you're in a ministry and someone says, hey, pray for me, I mean, they mean it. It's so important to pray. But it's important that we pray properly, right? If we, we don't believe God, it won't be counted to us for righteousness. That's unrighteous. It's not right. We believe God because he's true, even if we don't feel like it. Because what the, God, the, God, the, the, the record is true. Now, there's plenty of evidence for it and all of that, but there's a point in our heart where it's got to be quickened with faith. Notice Moses' hands got heavy and, and he needed help because prayer is taxing. And if you don't believe it, just do it. Just open up, if you're a member of our church, open up your Shelby Next app and go through the membership list. And just think of everything you know about each member and then just go to prayer for them. Their cancer, their health, their, their children, uh, their job, their ministry. And just do it. And take time. And see how, how, how much time it will take you. But also see how you feel when you're done. You'll be kind of like, whew. That was kind of a, I'm ready for a nap. <laughs> Why is that? Why do you need it ready for a nap? Because it's spiritually taxing. 
It take, it, it's, it's a spiritual endeavor. So, by the way, I, I recommend you don't do that unless you're tanked up. You know, get in your devotional time, get ready to go, get juiced up with the word, and then go to pray. That's a lot better way of getting after it. It's hard work. And that's why you need help. That's why we have prayer teams. Together, everybody advances the mission. Didn't know that was an acronym, did you? So, team. It's a team. We need each other to pray. We really do. And our, our missionaries need each other to pray. It's hard work. And, I, and, and so I employ the help of faithful saints to pray. Even today, after this meeting, we have another meeting. It's a prayer meeting over in the library. Every Sunday night, we come together and we pray over the prayer list. We make sure everything on that list gets covered in prayer. And we hold each other's hands up. It's not a big group. Just like Moses, Aaron, and her wasn't a big group. But it's a group. And we come together and we pray. Notice that Moses was seated upon a rock. Again, the types are tremendous. The Lord Jesus Christ wins the battle in the valley, and he holds up inter, uh, as he holds up intercession on the mountaintop. So we've got a picture of Jesus Christ uh, down in the valley winning the battle, and then we've got a picture of Jesus Christ, the rock that is resting, the law is sitting upon it. <laughs> it's the foundation for the law. And so you got Jesus in the valley and you got Jesus on the mountain, man. He is he's in both places. Beloved, that's why we pray. We need Jesus to be effectually and fervently working where we live down here. But we also need to know that he is highly exalted. He's hearing our prayer. That's the whole thing. He bridges the gap. He is the intercessor. So when you pray immediately, your prayers go to heaven. And that's why we make intercession. It is like radio communication. So you're in your foxhole. And the enemy's coming down. What do you do? You're the radio man. You get on the radio and you say, I need an airstrike and I need it now. And then from above, bam, you get your support. That's what Aaron was doing and her. They're holding up up, uh, Moses' hands so that God would affect the battle. And they did that until the sunset. So practically speaking, Joshua was sustained supernaturally all day long in the battle because of prayer. Jesus hung on the cross from three to six. With his hands nailed to a tree. And this, Jesus is the picture. And what did Jesus do as he hung on that cross? Other than agonize in excruciating pain. What did he do? Well, we, can know, we know what he did. Because we can go back in the Bible. And hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. It's already recorded what he was thinking. And he is uttering those same words back to the Father as he goes through Psalms 22 and he looks at his bones and he looks at his body and he and he's pushing himself up off that cross, trying to get his last breaths in his lungs. And he's talking to the, the thief on the cross and he's looking around and all of that stuff as they they part their, his garments before his feet. All of that's recorded in the Old Testament. And he's saying everything that's in those passages. And one of the things that he says is his hands are pinned up in the air. Not by Aaron and her, but by, by spikes in his, in his hands. As the Son of God is dying on the cross, he looks out and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As he bleeds out and he dies as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, he was praying, he was interceding for us. Yes, that was the Jews. Yes, that was the Romans. And yes, it was me. And it was you. 
Oh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was not praying in wrath. What if he would have said, Father, destroy them, because I've had it up to here. There were angels awaiting. We know that. Legions. And yet they stayed back as the Son of God did the work that we can't do of atoning for sin on the cross. That's also why it was so important that Moses had his hands in the air and that they stayed in the air because it was a picture of the victory that we have that Jesus Christ has gotten for us. Those in the field fighting the battles need to need our effectual and fervent prayer as it avails much. James 5:16 says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It doesn't say the effectual fervent prayer of an unrighteous man availeth much. The only prayer that an unrighteous man needs to pray is, Lord, forgive me. I have sinned. I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's the only prayer he's looking for is a prayer of repentance. But for the righteous man, we need to be about the business of praying. We need to follow the template in the model. Paul told us that holy men everywhere ought to be lifting up their hands in prayer. So practically speaking, beloved, I don't need to know. But just in your heart right now, if you say you're a Christian, if you're born again, if you're part of God's ministry, if you're part of God's mission, how are we doing with that? And could that be indicative of how we're going in this culture, in this country? Oh, no, it's this person's problem. It's that person's problem. It's the right's problem. It's the left's problem. It's the president's problem. It's the mayor's problem. No, no, no. Maybe it's the church's problem. Maybe the church is not praying like we ought to pray and praying with faith and praying not for God's wrath, not for God to take somebody out, but for God to bring people into the kingdom of God, transform their lives like Liam just gave a testimony, like Austin and and Lauren and see changed lives and see Jesus Christ doing work. That only God can do. Whoa, what would that do? That will turn the world upside down. That will make things that look like this go like this. It will overturn it. That's why, beloved, faith in this book is such a dangerous thing. In so many places. And now even here where we live. Pray without ceasing, Paul said. First Thessalonians 5.17. Don't, don't quit. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching therein too, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. You know, the gospel is mysterious, not to us, but to those that haven't heard it. For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that ye all, that ye may uh, know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, my beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things. See, Paul is praying. He's, he's in a situation uh, there in Ephesians chapter 6. If you go back and read it, it is where the whole armor of God is. What, what's he engaging in? Spiritual warfare. Take unto you the whole armor of God. The shield of faith, which will quench all the fiery darts of the, of, the, of the wicked. But when he gets to the end of that text, what's he say? Pray. Communications is most important in the battle. So important. In Vietnam, a combat radio communications uh, lifespan expectancy. Once the battle started, anybody know how long it was? If you're a radio man in a combat in Vietnam, how long is your life expectancy? How much? Six seconds? How many of you think it's six seconds? 
I think he gets the prize. It's five seconds according to my records, but five to six seconds is pretty close. I'll, I'll just, I'll just, uh, five to six seconds, at least in Vietnam. If you're a radio man, actually, I used to know one, a guy named Rick Wilson, and he was a radio man in Vietnam in combat. Often thought about that, how God preserved his life, because his lifespan and was five seconds every time the bulls started flying. Why? Why is it the, why is it the guy with the radio on his back? Communication. Right? He's the guy that can, can call in ordinances. He can get the, he can get the jets flying. He can get the missiles launched. He can bring in support. He can bring in more troops. He can pray to headquarters and headquarters can hear what he says and they can respond with more force. And beloved, that's what we need to be doing. We have prayer needs right in this ministry right now. We need, I got, I'm praying over the AV booth. I'm praying over the praise team. I'm praying over the children's wing. I'm praying over HBI. I'm praying over, we need more missionaries. We need more pastors. We need more, 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 more. Where's it going to come from? You know what I'm not asking for is more money. There's something more important than money, and that's people. That's souls. Because that's how God gets the job done. Man, you don't, the last thing the devil needs is people with proper priorities praying. Because that will change things. And beloved, that's the business we're in. And we need to encourage one another in that. But I got news for you. If you get serious about praying, the devil will want to take you out. And that's why you need help. That's why you need Aaron and her. Aaron becomes, of course, we know he's the priest. He ends up, he's helping Aaron, or he's helping Moses. This past week, Pastor Kagan, a Grace Baptist here in Harrisonville, called a 630 prayer meeting for the pastors in our community to pray for our congregations so that we can respond to the call to love our neighbors as ourselves and fulfill the great command. And so we met at Brickhouse. And uh, I'll be frank, there weren't very many pastors there. But I will tell you, there was some fervent and effectual prayer. And it will avail much. And I was so I was so encouraged as we sat down at the table. I hadn't talked to Pastor Kagan about it, just showed up, wanted to encourage my brother. We sat down at the table and he opens up his Bible. You know where he opened it up to, don't you? Exodus 17. And he commences to talk about how important it is that we pray. And I looked at my brother and I said, amen. Just preach that Sunday. That's where I'm going next Sunday. Beloved, we're in a real war. We need to be prepared to pray. That was God's good hand on our community and my life and your life. And we're praying together that God would drive out the adversary from the hearts and minds of those that are taken captive by the devil at his will and secure souls for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ right here where we live before Jesus Christ returns. And so we're going to continue in prayer. Pray always. Pray without ceasing. So it didn't just end last Tuesday morning. We're praying right now after church. I'm going over here to the library. You're all welcome and wanted. If we overflow out of the library, we'll come back in the sanctuary. We're going to pray some more because we need to pray. And I am doing that because the Super Bowl is tonight. I've just got to be honest. I don't want to mislead anybody. Because of the Super Bowl, we moved the prayer meeting back. That's a little self-serving on our part. But what we're not doing is forsaking praying. We're going to do it because it's important. Point C, Moses brings the rod and Joshua brings the sword. Interesting nuance here in the text down in verse 13. 
And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So in your Bible, this is the fourth mention of sword in the book of Exodus. But it is the first time we see the sword in the hands of the Jews. The first time we see that. There are 13 words in um, there are 13 words in verse 13 as God judges sin with the edge of the sword. In the Bible, 13 is the number of rebellion. And now we see that a guy named Joshua, who means Savior, comes out with a sword, like Ephesians or Hebrews 4.12, a sharp two-edged sword, and he discomfits Amalek with the sword. And this is the first time since we've seen Israel delivered that a sword is in their hand. And guess whose hand it appears in? Joshua. Where do you all get your sword? Well, I get my sword from Jesus. It's it literally his name is the word of God. It's the only it's the only offensive weapon we have is the words of God. And his words are so powerful, the Bible says, that literally they created the he spoke the worlds into existence. It's no coincidence that the sword appears in the first battle in the wilderness and Joshua is the one wielding it. The sharp two edged sword is a type of the word of God, and it comes forth also out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 1921, it says in a remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. It's not like a literal sword out of his mouth. The power came to slay will come to slay people. There is wrath coming. And that's why we left up holy hands. And pray people are reconciled before they see Revelation 19.21. And all the fowls of the air filled with their flesh. Our flesh has been defeated and cut away from our soul by the sharp two-edged sword. Romans 13.14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. God has literally spiritually circumcised the saint. The day that you get saved, you're you're cut away. Your soul and your spirit are sealed and you're, you're cut away from your flesh. That's why you're, 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 you got to get a new body, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Today we're in a terrestrial body, but once we get raptured up or we die and are resurrected, we will have a terrestrial, yeah, a spiritual body, a terrestrial or a, a celestial body, I should say. We have a terrestrial body now, so we'll have a celestial body, a body that can operate in the heavens. So the church on the move must be prepared for war and prevail in battle. And how are we going to prevail in battle? Prayer prayer and lastly the church in the move the church on the move must praise god for the victory as we wrap this up and we'll be done it says and the lord said unto moses write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of joshua for i will utterly put out the remembrance of amalek from under heaven now if you just stop there you're like okay no problem it's all done but notice what what goes on here in verse 15 and moses built an altar and he and he called it he called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, which means the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, when you just read that and you're like, well, verse 14 says that I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. So what's this about? Well, Moses understands <clears throat> that this is going to go on for generations. Later on in Deuteronomy, he talks about. How God left these enemies so that in Joshua also the first in the first chapter, how God left these enemies so that future generations could learn to war. They become like the 
well, the, they become like the, the, the preseason game for battle, you know, uh, before they go out and def- defeat giants or really get into some gnarly Philistine battles. You just got to go fight Amalek, you know, your sparring partner. And, uh, and God leaves them there. Now, he will utterly put them out. But Moses knows this is going to go on for generations before that happens. And they're never going to be victorious. Praise God for the victory re- recorded in God's word. You know where he wrote it in a book. The victory has been memorialized for us in a book. This is the first mention of the, the word right in the Bible. So if you're marking things in your Bible, you can mark that down. The first mention, notice it's capitalized too. Moses, write this for a memorial in the book. <clears throat> and so, so it's an interesting thing here that this is the first time you see the word right. Now God's going to give them the word, but the first thing that's memorialized in a book is this. Even though obviously we get the whole Exodus and Genesis and all of that later. But he wanted to make sure this is recorded in the book. So God has preserved his word for us that we might remember his victory over sin, death, and the grave. God's record is a record of victory over his enemies. It's no accident that the scripture opens with Satan in the garden and closes with Satan being cast into the lake of fire. You don't know how it ends with Satan unless you read the end of the the book. It's recorded in the book of what Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is all about. And what happens Well, he wins the victory, and it's written in a book. Notice it doesn't say written in a scroll. He's pointing us toward a book. In Revelation, the books are open. There was a time when they used scrolls. But God has given us a book, and the fulfillment of his word is found in a book. Point B, we we should rehearse God's words to the next generation. I can't emphasize this enough. He's given us a book so we can give it to others. In Deuteronomy 6, the Bible says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. Thou shalt be frontless between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and in thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not. And houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, and vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten to the full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You know what he says? Don't ever forget the record. Lest you find yourself in a land of plenty, in a place with a good economy, and, and good natural resources, and safety, and peace, and prosperity, and all of those things. And somehow, some way, we would forget the record of how we got the victory. Could that happen to a society? Yeah, I think it can. Where's it all go back to? It goes back to what's written in the book. And who needs to know it? Listen to me. Who needs to know it is our children. Where's the failure? Somehow, some way, we have forgotten to get this book In the hearts of the next generation. And when that happens, it brings destruction. And that is the admonition of Deuteronomy 6. Make sure you don't forget about the record in the book. Where does the victory come from? It comes from Joshua, Jesus. He's in the valley. He's on the mountaintop. Man, it comes when we pray. But we also can't forget the record. We've got to pass it on to every generation. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithless men no no faithful men who shall be able to teach others also 
Paul understood that if the mission of God was going to be accomplished, he had to get the words into men who had faith, people who believed God's word, and then would take that word and give it to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. We call that discipleship here at HBF. And it needs to be working in our lives. I've been asking you all at HBF to make room in your life to make disciples because God, if he brings people into the church, what is it that we are to do with them? We are to invest the words of God. The simple truth of God's word has to be given to the next generation so they can get it to the next generation. So they can get it to the next generation. Yeah, it's not sexy. Yeah, it's not the newest, coolest thing. But it is what God has given us. And it is the record of his victory. And it is most important for God's kingdom to be advanced. And when we forget the book, it starts to be available, become very clear in society that people have left off what has brought the victory, which is Jesus Oh, judgment begins at the house of God when we don't obey the mission of God, which is to make disciples for God. It's true that repetition is the price of learning. There's a new documentary called The War on Children produced by a guy named Robbie Starbuck. I haven't haven't been able to watch it yet, but I plan to. But it's all about how the world has an agenda to pervert your children. I mean, from top to bottom. And the whole idea is, as as parents, who's going to get in the way of that? You are. Parents are the only thing standing in the way of that. You can't sub-let out the thinking of of the next generation to this. I mean, for goodness sake, if I rip my cover off here, I got a picture. Look at this. I got a picture. Get this stinking thing off. I got an apple with a bite out of it. What does that represent? Tree of knowledge of good and evil. You got to be an idiot stick not to realize that. I mean, come on, man. There's technology design stuff I don't even care to look at, never have. TikTok and all that. That's not designed for me. It's designed for my kids. I'm just saying, beloved, how do you overcome all that? The book. The book. The record. What Jesus Christ did. How did Liam wake up? Somebody preached the book. And God quickened his spirit so he could get up here and give a testimony. How old are you, Liam? How old are you? He's 14 years old. Hallelujah. I remember when he's like little dude over here in the hallway, but that's awesome. I don't mean that you're a bold speaker. That's I normally don't pick on young men like you, but you're like up here preaching. I mean, he may have a he may have something for you, bro. So I'm just saying <laughs> so, we have a we have a process. But anyway, talk to dad and mom. But anyway, <clears throat> hey, beloved, I hope I hope I hope you never get over the joy of your salvation. I get pretty sober and serious. Obviously, you guys can tell. I take this serious. And I, even though it seems completely impossible that this little church in the middle of a field could have any impact on anything, by God's grace, I just pray somehow we can be a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. But just don't, do, don't let this happen. In all the weight of the God's mission, don't lose your joy. And it is the joy of the Lord that's your strength. It is knowing that Jesus has given you the victory that makes it so easy. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And all he's asking us to do is simply love him and love other people. It really is not any more complicated than that. And I know you guys do that. I'm preaching to the choir. But, man, how important it is to, to, to make sure that people know that, man, you have the most precious thing, and that's a relationship with Christ. Don't ever lose the joy of your salvation. It's so important. Because discipleship isn't just about transferring knowledge. 
it's also transferring that gratitude, that attitude of gratitude. That's the whole point. Is God wants the children of Israel to remember that, man, I have provided for you. I have taken you out of bondage. I have brought you through the Red Sea. I have given you manna. I have given you water. I have given you victory. Man, I love you. I am providing for you. And that should bring a smile to our face. Not a, man, I got to go to church again. Come on, kids. (laughs) Oh, Chiefs? Tickets? Oh, yeah, let's go. Come on, man. We got to be about the business. We got to have our priorities set, parents, so that people know what's really important. And those most important people are our kids. Because God's promised to destroy Amalek, He's going to get it done. And God preserves the memorial in a book. And God, He'll leave the enemies to prove the next generation, according to Judges 3. But I'm not going to read that for time's sake. But lastly, point C, Moses, you know what he did? He built an altar and he named it Jehovah Nissi, which I've told you three times now is the Lord is my banner. God has a special place for the Amalekites. Wicked Haman and Esther is a descendant of Agag, the Amalekite. He's a type of the Antichrist who persecuted Israel and tried to make it legal to kill all of Jacob's seed. God has something special for Amalek. And he points them out early on because they're fighting against what God's doing. But if you were not, if you, if you were not for Jesus, if it were not for Jesus, I'm sorry, battle would be lost because of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He is our banner. He is our rock of our salvation because Jesus, we can praise God for the victory. Amen. Man, I wish I had a praise song. We'd just sing a praise song and be done. But let's stand together in prayer. As we praise God for the victory, I hope you know him today, and I hope you know he has victory over the battles in your life. And even though they'll come, man, God is able to prevail. Don't forget to go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We're thankful for the opportunities to see these baptisms today. What great messages that went on. We've heard four of them now, uh, this one and the three before, and we're so thankful for it. We pray, God, a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. As we close in uh, prayer and we praise you today for all that God has done, we're reminded that the church on the move must be prepared for war, prevail in battle, and praise God for the victory. And we do thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. Lord, we're so thankful for the reality of your resurrection and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And I thank you for the joy, uh, Lord, that was set before you so you endured the, the cross. And, Lord, you brought us the victory, and you've recorded it in a book. And we say hallelujah for that. You are our banner. Lord, we fly under your flag, and we are so thankful for your uh, incredible victory to us. We thank you, and we praise you today as we continue in prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is not a better day uh, than today just to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I know I haven't really preached a lot about that, but right now this would be a great time to just simply Put your your eggs in his basket to cast all your care on him and receive him as Lord and Savior. Maybe you've come today and you thought, man, I I was trying to work my way to heaven. But today I realize I just need to receive the gift of eternal life. That's why God calls it a gift, because it's it's what he's already done. And we have to receive that by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Maybe your heart is ready to receive that gift today. And you've never really understood that until now. If you're here this morning. And you need to be born again or saved. That's what we call it. That's what the Bible calls it. You need to know you're forgiven of your sin and you have eternal life. 
You're like, Brian, pray for me. I want that right now. I need to be saved. Anybody at all? Just lift your hand in the air. I know it's like, like I don't want to, but you need to. Just do it by faith. Take that first step, that first action. We talked about Moses lifted his hand in the air. Could you lift your hand in the air and say, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Amen. You can put it down. I saw that. Anyone else? Anyone else? Say, Brian, I need, I need, I need the Lord as my Savior. We're going to come in it to you. If you raise your hand, we'll come to you, and we'll, we can we can help you from there. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the opportunity today, just to to consider these things. I pray for your church family, Lord. There are people today in our church that have have cancer. There are people that are dealing with ailments. I know Jeff Trude's eyes healing and Lord, lots of things, uh, physical ailments in the body of Christ and in a church this size. We're going to have that. And Lord, we thank you for the victories that we have seen. Lord, thank you for, for the victories that we've seen with Pastor Randy and the victories we see with Sharon and Bob and the victories we've seen with, with um, uh, Richard and Judy and the victories that we pray that we see with Rosie. And, Lord, we just we know there's so many with ailments like that, and we thank you for the victory. And we know that even if our flesh fails, Lord, that you will resurrect us, like Job said, and we'll stand with you in that day. And so, Heavenly Father, we know that uh, you have loved us today. And I pray, God, that you wrap your arms around your people. And as we go out of here, we go in victory. Lord, I pray, God, for those that need to make decisions to join this church, Lord, that they would do that. If they need to be baptized, Lord, that they could they would get with us and and we could help them follow you in believers' baptism. Lord, I thank you for the one that's even looking in the Scripture to look at salvation today. Heavenly Father, I pray if you're working on anyone's heart today in regard to salvation, that today they would not let this moment pass. Lord, that they would find myself or someone who knows the, the, the Bible and can show them very clearly how to be born again, biblically, and they would receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And even without that, if they just simply, in their own way, call upon the name of the Lord from the sincerity of their heart, Lord, I pray God... You would quicken them and save them, and they would come and find us and share that with us so we can teach them the next right thing to do. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this church body. We pray, God, as we go out of here today that your good hand will be upon us. Lord, we pray for the prayer meetings that are about to commence here after church, and we pray, God, for um, all the things that we're looking forward to in the next, uh, the next section of this book as we consider how you structure and organize uh, your people for victory. Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you get the honor and the glory from your word today. We thank you and we praise you. And we know you are Jehovah Nissi. Lord, you are our banner. Uh, you are our rejoicing. We lift our hands in praise to you as we pray for the victory. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for coming this morning. We are glad that you're with us. We're going to have just a few more announcements in an offertory time here in just a moment. And, uh, again, if, if uh, you have any questions or anything about HBF, or you want to know more about uh, something that we've said, just uh, grab me. I'll be in the foyer for a little bit after the church 